0: You are listening to a sermon from the Way of Jesus series at Doxa Church in Bellevue, Washington. In this series, we are exploring the way of life that Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. Join us Sundays in Bellevue at 9 and 11 a.m. or online at www.doxa-church.com. Matthew five thirty-three 33-37 Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, when you think about the world today, you could come up with all kinds of things that are wrong with it. We see racism all over the place, we see hatred, we see sexual immorality. We see people struggling with working through gender confusion issues. We see arrogance and pride in our leadership, greed and the love of money producing all kinds of evil as people love things and use people instead of use things to love people. It's all over. We could come up with lots of list of what is wrong and I would say that our list is incomplete if we don't include integrity and truthfulness, that there is a real lack Of integrity. There's a real lack of faithfulness to our word. And this lack of truth and integrity in our speech that Jesus is getting after in this text has been going on since the beginning. Because if we remember rightly, we go back to Genesis 3, where the serpent came before Eve and her husband was with her and said, Did God really say? From the very beginning, He sows lies into the very fabric of creation. And the woman believes the lie and gives in to the deception, not believing God will be faithful to his word. And therefore, she walks away from him in that act and brings her husband with her into it. And he also does the same. Should be no surprise that our world struggles with integrity and keeping its word and speaking the truth and living without deception because it's been with us since the beginning. John Murray, in referring to that moment in history, says this about Satan. He directly assails God's veracity, saying, in Old English, we have to forgive that, God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes will be opened. You shall be as God, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3, 5. He accuses God of deliberate falsehood and deception. God has perpetrated perpetrated a lie, he avers, because he is jealous of his own selfish and exclusive possession of the knowledge of good and evil. This is one of the reasons why the Bible calls Satan the father of lies. I believe one of the the greatest destructive works of Satan in the life of a, a believer and the church is to stir up falsehood and deception amongst us. I'm convinced there's Almost no greater damage to the witness of the gospel in the world than when Christians say they know the truth and yet they lack it in their dealings with one another. It it mars the very truth of the gospel we proclaim to say we know the truth of God, but we don't live as truth-telling people. We don't keep our word. All untruth, notes Murray, has its affinity with that lie by which Eve was seduced. The way of Jesus that we've been talking about these last several weeks, the way of flourishing, the way he intends us to live, the way he created you to live, is one in where our wor- is a world in where our word is true, where we, we speak what we believe, we, we do what we say, we stick with what we say we'll do. We're faithful, we're vow keepers, we're truth tellers. Jesus is speaking into an oral culture, and that day they didn't have legally binding documents that you would write a contract around and then sign that then they could bring up against you. Instead, you were just giving your word. You would say, this is what I will do, and your word was treated as a legally binding statement, one that you could actually be punished by if you didn't keep it. So when Jesus is speaking into this culture, we need to recognize the power of words is significant. And when they would take an oath, they would often do it in the name of a higher authority that they would then say that they were accountable to to keep their word. So Jesus starts like he has and all the other texts that we've walked through. In the last few weeks, he starts with what they know, the commandments that they would be familiar with. Look at Matthew 5, 33, as he speaks into an oral culture that takes seriously what you say. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. To be clear, he's not actually quoting directly a passage in the Old Testament, but rather a summation of several passages. We're going to start with the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and look at one of them, Exodus 20 verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, to be clear... This commandment is not speaking against using God's name to swear. Like when you're angry and then you say his name out loud. That's not what it's referring to. Okay, It's, it's referring to using God's name as a, a way of saying, I will make a vow in the name of the Lord, but internally I have no intent to keep that vow. It's to misuse the authority of God's name to bring authority to your statement in such a way that you actually don't really believe. So in other words, I want to say, I want to be faithful in the name of the Lord. I promise to you I will, but internally I know I won't. That's what he's referring to. And you go, well, how do you know that? Well, let's look at a few other passages. Leviticus 19.12, you shall not swear or make an oath. By my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Deuteronomy 23 21 through 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Numbers 32, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by pledge, he shall not break his word, he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Jesus is speaking to a group of people who know that the commandment, you shall not take the name of the the, the Lord your God in vain, is referring to making vows in the name of the Lord with no intent to keep them. Okay, they're very familiar with this. So he continues like we are used to to go after the heart, the intent of the commandment and the truthfulness of their own brokenness and deceitful hearts. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. I'm gonna pause there because I want to make sure it's clear as we set this up that in Jesus' day, the taking of oaths had been greatly abused to the point that the very practice of taking an oath led to the weakening of the trustworthiness of one's word instead of actually reinforcing it. It's kind of like if you've ever been with someone and they go, no, no, I promise. I promise to God I won't do this. You have to stop and go, why in the world are they working so hard to convince me that they'll actually do what they say? It's been said that the more you have to promise to somebody you will do something based upon another authority that clearly your own authority and trustworthiness has likely been undermined. with somebody who's like, every time they're like, no, 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 this time I mean it. I swear to God I'll do it, right? And you go, that's the problem. You have to keep promising on behalf of someone else's faithfulness your own because you're not trustworthy, that's what was going on in their day. And so they had a problem where they would either engage in the practice of frivolous oath-taking and making, or in evasive oath-keeping. Let I me mean, just describe what was going on. Frivolous, and that they would just engage in the practice where taking an oath was neither necessary or even proper, but they would do it to give some kind of significance to something that wasn't significant. So they'd just go around... I swear to God, I promised by the temple, and it didn't matter what it was. It could be, I'm going to win this next game I play. I, pray, I, pray to, I, I swear to God, it'll happen. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to finish my meal this time, mom and dad. I promise to God I will. It's just like, it just be, belittled the very practice of promising something in the name of God because they would do it for absolutely anything, We know this in our own culture, don't we? We have people who go before a group of people to get married and they make vows that say, till death do us part, in sickness and in health, in riches and in poor, in good times and in bad times. We're together till we die, but we live in a state that says there's a no-fault divorce policy that it doesn't really matter if you don't even like being with them tomorrow, you can divorce them. And so we know the, that vow-making in this state, especially around something like marriage, as we talked about a few weeks ago, almost means nothing these days. Because we just toss out vows for everything, even though we're not really prepared to keep them. James Montgomery Boyce used this illustration to clarify what was happening in that day around frivolous vow-keeping And making. He said it was exactly as if a servant who lived in the household of an honorable state official should go around talking about the honorable house and the honorable chair and the honorable mop and the honorable dishpan and so forth. His speech would then have much less meaning when he called out the Lord of the house, Your Honor. That's what we're doing to the very nature and character of God. When we make a vow in his name that we have no intent of keeping and we just use his name frivolously. In fact, you, if if you're not uh, aware of this, if you're new to the faith, if you're not a Christian yet, you may not know that God created all of us in his image to tell the truth about what he's like through the way we live, that his invisible attributes are meant to be clearly seen through what he's made and most fully through his crown of his creation, which is you and I, men and women, made in the image of God. And he meant for us to speak the truth and keep our word so that the world would know that God is one who is truth himself and keeps his word and is faithful to his promise. And yet we live in a world where we're all telling a lie about what God is like on a daily basis because we don't speak the truth, we don't keep our word, we don't fulfill our promise. The Pharisees didn't just engage in frivolous oath-making, they loved to create evasive opportunities to avoid keeping your word. Jesus is very specifically speaking to this Because they, as the representatives of who God is to the people, are actually telling a lie about what God is like in them learning to, or teaching people to to run away or get out of their vows. See, what what they were doing, what the religious leaders were doing is they were taking Exodus 27... You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And instead of emphasizing in vain, they were emphasizing taking the name of the Lord your God. So they would just say to people, here's the way that you can lessen your commitment to the vow. Just don't say it in the Lord's name. Say it in some other name or do it based upon some other thing. And the lesser the thing, the lesser the the accountability to keep your vow. That's what they were doing. It's like, we've got a way to make this easier for you to keep the law. If you don't say it in the name of the Lord, you won't be accountable to him. So say it in somebody else's name or some other thing. To which Jesus responds, I say to you, do not take an oath at all either by heaven, or for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you can't, cannot make one hair white or black. What is Jesus saying? He's going, if you're going to engage in oath-making in the way that you've been doing it and promising on a lesser thing than the name of God that you will fulfill it, Please just stop doing it all together because the truth is, God owns it all. So every time you make an oath, you're making it before the creator of the universe, whether you say his name or not. Because here's the deal Heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool, Jerusalem is his city, and you are his, including the number of hairs on your head that you can't even change the color of, except for now we can because we have hair color treatments. Some of you are bald. You actually are trying to grow it back. Uh, You have beautiful bald heads in the room. I see that, so it's nice. Earlier, the earlier service, they were thankful that I honored the bald heads in the room. You guys are not so happy that I've done that. Jesus goes on later on in Matthew's gospel to make it really clear to the religious leaders. And this will tell you what they've been doing by what you hear Jesus say Matthew 23, verse 16. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. Key there, him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. They wanted to create these categories where they could say I committed but I didn't really do it before God so it's not really as important. It's not as weighty. I can kind of ease myself out of this and I just want to say and make it really clear Jesus is saying everything you say you are accountable to God for. We are told that we will give an account for every careless word we speak before the creator of the universe one day. And we ought to recognize that our words have significant power. If God could speak and the earth could come into existence through his very word, then us being made in the image of God, we should realize that we have power with our words to build up or to tear down. Because, like God, words are creative. And, like Satan, words can be destructive. You have power. What you say matters. And that's what God cares about what comes out of your mouth. You know, we could, we could pick on the religious leaders or we could pick on the people listening that day and go, man, they're, they're, those, what are they doing? And yet we're not that different. In fact, I, I, w- I would say, and if you're a lawyer and you're offended by this, then be offended. But I, we live in a day and age where people... Are paid to find loopholes in contracts in order to get out from the original intent of what what they committed to in the first place. We're in a place where a lawyer can get a criminal off of out of out of trouble, knowing full well they're guilty, but because they're better at convincing a jury they're not, they can get somebody set free. Like the entire intent was to make sure that the guilty don't go unpunished. Proverbs talks about not treating people with unequal scales. We've got to judge rightly and then speak truthfully. We live in a culture that looks to get out of things, not actually be faithful with our word and what we've said. It's all around us. So what does Jesus say to this? Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Why? Because it's from the father of lies. When we say one thing but believe another, when we say we'll do something but do another, we are acting like the father of lies. We are being deceived and we are deceiving. We are telling a lie about God and what he is like. We started this part of our series on the Sermon on the Mount looking at Matthew 5.20, where Jesus says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We made it clear that what that's talking about is not that you must be more religious than them, but rather that this is a different kind of righteousness. This is a, a deep, wholehearted change of life that God, by his spirit, brings about from the inside out. That what goes on inside is what's going on outside. That we are not double-minded. That we are not saying one thing, believing another. That when I say it, it's what I believe. And when I say I'll do it, it's what I'll do. Some of you are sitting back going, yeah, Jeff, get those liars. Jesus, get them. And I just want to ask you, last time you were with your missional community or even this morning when you came in and someone said, so how are you doing? Did you tell them the truth? you just go, fine. Now some of you are going, yeah, but Jeff, if they, they don't really want to know. You know a sure way to create a truth-telling community? Next time someone asks you that, tell them how you're really doing. And they'll probably, they probably won't ask you again if they don't really want to know. And then I would say, if you're asking someone how they're doing and you don't really want to know, stop asking, because that's not truthful either. I'm, I'm actually saying, I want to know how you're doing, but I really don't want to, and so I'm a liar. Don't ask. You go, yeah, but Jeff. That's the polite thing to do. That's what we do in our culture. We don't belong to this world. We belong to another world. We belong to a God who tells the truth, a God who cares about the soul of humans. A God, when he asks, how are you doing? He actually wants us to tell him the truth, not to pretend, not to hide, not to say like, oh, I'm really good with you, God, when I'm not. He's okay with the truth. He can handle it. Amen? And some of you are going, yeah, man, I, people like that, gosh. And so let me ask you another question. Have you ever said yes when inside you were saying no? Someone comes to you and goes, hey man, I'd love to meet with you. Can we meet this week? And you're like, I don't really want to. <laughs> but you know, if you said no, they might think, wow, you don't really care about me or, or like, I, I'll just be honest. This is one I struggle with because people will go, hey Jeff, can, do you have time this week? And I'll, I'll be like, yeah, because I want them to believe I care and I love them and I do. I do. I really do. <laughs> I think I do. Uh, and and so I say yes. But inside I'm like, I can't handle another meeting this week. I'm too busy. I've got I'm packed and and I, I live like I'm not really a human. I live like I'm a God. I, I, I live like I don't believe I have limits. I I live like I'm I'm the Messiah. And if I don't do it, who will? And it's arrogance and it's pride and it's selfishness and it's fear of man that drives me at times to say yes when inside I'm saying no. Anybody else in the room like me? Hey, I hope I'm not alone. You can admit this, right? We're truth tellers in this church, okay? Yeah, this is a struggle. And some of you guys are going, that's right. I never say yes. Okay. You're lying too. Because inside you know the yes of the Spirit. You know when when someone asks for something, the Spirit's going, God's Spirit is saying, Yes, I want you to do that. And you go, No. And you may not be lying out there, but you're lying in here. You're grieving the Holy Spirit who's wanting to witness to you to the kind of life that God wants you to live. And so you're not telling the truth either. Not in ter- terms of your new identity. And if you're not a Christian here yet, maybe you don't know what that's like. But when God comes into your life, he cleanses you from your sin through the blood shed on the cross of Jesus Christ. And then he fills you with the spirit, gives you a new heart, enables you to think differently, to live differently, to love differently. And so you have this testimony with you of God's presence telling you what to do on a daily basis. And so then you hear from God and you're going, oh, I know what you want me to do. No! To the person who asks, And the spirit's going, Yes! I made you for this. I saved you for this. I set you up for this. I prepared the way for this. Yes. Don't don't deny what I'm doing in your life. Don't deny what I'm saying to you. Listen to me. So some of you say yes all the time. Some of you say no all the time. We're not people of, of the word. We're not truthful. We're not following the spirit of God. Some of you promise and then you don't deliver. You say you'll do something, but you don't follow through, and I've struggled with this. I think that my capacity is bigger and better than I think think is really true, and I've let people down, and it, it erodes trust, and it deeply grieves me when I do it. God's still working on me. Some of you say one thing to a person's face and then you go behind their back and say something totally different. You act like you're for them and then behind their back you're against them. You slander and gossip and tear down the very image of God in another person so that before another person you might look great. I've been encouraging our staff and our leaders here at DOXA That we don't talk about people, we talk to people. Unless, of course, we're building them up so that it benefits those who listen. Some of you right now, you need to go talk to somebody because you can't build them up because there's something wrong in your relationship. And I would just say, just keep your mouth shut until you can, until you can talk to them and be made right with them, until you can speak well of them, just keep your mouth shut. It destroys the very image of God in front of others as we destroy one another with our words. It's also dishonest to pretend like you're great with each other when you're really not. It's dishonest, it's deceptive and it leads to all kinds of distrust in our church. Family, isn't it great when you know that someone says the same thing to you both to you and behind your back because you hear them do that with other people too? The people you trust most are the people that don't gossip and slander. But only build people up, because you figure they're probably doing that about you when you're not with them. But if they tear people down with you, it's likely you're thinking, "I wonder if they do that to, about me when I'm not around." You know what I'm saying? Anybody ever feel this? Some of you are committed to be a member of Doxa Church, and you've made a statement, "I will gather, go, give, grow gather regularly on Sundays to be equipped to be a disciple who makes disciples. I'll, I'll go on mission with a missional community or some other believers that will try to help other people who don't know Jesus come to know him through our lives and love. That I'm, I'm giving my time, my talent, my treasures for the advancement of the gospel. And I'm going to grow in community with a few other of the same sex who know my story and will help me grow in Christ's likeness. So the, the question I have is, has your yes been yes? Did you commit to that and are you following through with that? Some of you have decided not to be members here because you can't commit and your no truly is no and that's, that's, that's admirable and I, I want you to, to say no if you can't but let me just ask you, are you committing to anyone? Because if you're saying like, Jeff, ultimately I don't want to to ever let anybody down, so therefore I won't commit to anyone, I would just say, that's not the life God intended you to live, one of isolation and no commitment to anybody but yourself. He wants you to be in community. He wants you to, to learn how to speak something truthfully. He wants you to know how to commit to your word. He wants you to be devoted to other people who help you grow up in the faith. Why? Because that's what he's like. He is devoted to us. He lives eternally in relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He designed you to be like him and to live in community like he does. So whether it's this church or another church, ask yourself, am I committed to anybody and committed to submit to one another and have people speak truthfully into my life and me devote myself in vow keeping to one another? Now, There are some of you in the room who go from one situation to another, one relationship to another, and you're a different person everywhere you go. You just take one facade off, put another facade on, and you go from deceit to deceit to deceit. Sir Walter Scott said in his poem, "Marmion," oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive." A life of deception and empty promises and lies is no life of freedom. It's a life in prison. It's a life of slavery. And Jesus wants better, family. He wants us to be so free that we never have to wonder what I said last That I don't have to think, man, what was the story I told that person because now they're with the other person that I told a different story and now I don't want anybody to meet because they'll all find out the truth about me. No, he wants you to be free to be truthful and never have to hide and confess openly where your brokenness lies and just be a person of truth. There's so much freedom in this. If you're not yet a Christian and if you're not yet a believer in Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus... Came to forgive us of all the ways we deceive, all the ways we lie, all the ways we live in the tangled web of deception. And he doesn't just want to forgive us, he wants to set you free. In ancient Judaism, a father had the authority to undo a bad vow his daughter would make. You can read about this in Numbers 30. So he found out his daughter had made a vow. That was gonna get her in trouble or not be good for her. He could say, Nope, we're we're negating that vow, starting over. And then that was passed on in ancient Judaism to the husband of a wife. If she had done the same thing, he could then negate it and go, Nope, nope, that's not, we're not gonna go forward with that one. Now, some of you might be offended by that, but just set aside the the male and female reality of this, and I want you to think of the, the bigger reality, the bigger story that's going on throughout the Bible. See. Every single passage of scripture is profitable for our teaching and our instruction, our training in righteousness. is good for rebuking and correcting us where we're wrong. But the, 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 old, the whole Bible is a, a story. It's an overall narrative that God has given us to tell the truth about what he's like and what he's done in the personal work of Jesus. So when you hear the story of a father who can negate vows made or make up for promises that should not have been made, you ought to think of God the Father for you and me as his children and hear that God wants to come and say, no, 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 that was, that's something you should not have said. That's something you should not have committed to. That's something that that the the evil one told you a long time ago and I want to negate that word spoken because it's not the truth of what I'm like and it's not the truth of who you are. And I want to set you free from any vow you made or oath you agreed to or word that you spoken. And God the Father sends Jesus the Son as the word made flesh so that Jesus can come and say, I will only ever do what the Father tells me and I will free you from all the curses and oaths and vows you've made through my death on the cross. Not only will I forgive you of your sin, but I will cleanse you and make you whole. And then I will come and dwell in you by the spirit of God to not only change your heart, but to give you the ability to now say what is true and have the power to do it. That's what he did. And we have a father in heaven who says, let me undo all that for you. And then we have a Jesus who comes and the, the story of the Bible says Jesus comes as the perfect bridegroom to lay down his life for his bride, the church which is all of us, men and women though, that are in faith in Jesus that have been brought into the family of God through Christ we're the bride of Christ and Jesus like the husband of old says I will negate the words I will speak a better word before you before God the Father. The Bible says He is constantly making intercession for you and I. So did this last week when you lied or you deceived, or you, you made a vow you couldn't keep? Jesus is before the Father going, No, 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 no. Don't count that against Jeff. I paid for that. I went to the cross for what he just did. said it, we got a Spirit, go get him. Convict Jeff. Show him where he's wrong. Open his eyes, lead him to repentance so he'll turn back to me and I'll be the means by which he can actually speak the truth again. And that truth will probably start like something like this. God, once again, I believed a lie about you and myself. I believe that I needed to impress people with my words so they would love me. I needed to say yes when I shouldn't have so they'll accept me. I I needed to make a vow outside of my ability so that I would look more powerful than I really am. That all is a lie. It's all uh, evil. It's all rebellion against you, God. Please forgive me. And the spirit is there going, yes, you're loved, you're forgiven. What Jesus did is for you, Jeff. And now... Speak the truth, confess it out loud, not just to me, but go tell your brothers and sisters without fear. Let them know you failed, that you fell short, that you lied, that you deceived, that you said something you should not have said, but do it with confidence because you're already forgiven so you don't have to shrink back in your confession. Do it boldly. This is the kind of people God wants us to be. This is the kind of life he wants us to live. And the more that you do that, the more confidence you have that you're already forgiven, the more you will not be afraid to speak truthfully and only commit to what you can actually do. This is a good life, is it not? This is freedom. And the beauty is Jesus kept his words that we could be forgiven when we don't. And then he gave us the spirit so we could. Speak truthfully, keep our vows. See, he wants us to be free. He wants us to be wholehearted, truth-telling, vow-keeping, lip-closing-when-needed people. Family, I, I want us to be the kind of people that just don't have to hide and don't have to pretend and don't have to wonder if people mean what they say. Wouldn't it be great if we could be that free and that confident and that secure because of Jesus? And the truth is, we can. That's why he gave us his spirit. Let's pray that he helps us to be those people. Father, it's so good to boast of our need for you. It's so good to boast in the sufficiency of Christ. It's so good to admit that we are not faithful to our word but you are for us. And it's so hopeful to anticipate us all growing in our ability to be faithful to our word because of you, the faithful one. Would you bring assurance a forgiveness of sins through your spirit right now where we have not been truthful, where we have been deceptive, where we have put on a face. Holy Spirit, grant that we would know very deeply and internally the grace of God for our sin. And at the same time, would you not just make us a forgiven people, but a flourishing people, a people who do speak truthfully, who do commit and follow through who are not afraid to tell the truth about how we're really doing, a confessional people that confess truthfully our need for you. God, we want this for your glory, but we also want it for our joy. We want to be free. We want to be trustworthy. And we want this for the good of this world we live in. This city needs a people who are full of integrity. Help us by your spirit, to be that people. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, we pray, amen.